Um, We had taught through our school of leaders our discovery process on the themes of family and parenting. And uh, we've taught these areas before in times past. I looked at my schedule. It had been a while since I've been on this particular theme, but thought before we'd start the new series, I might touch base on this particular area because we're having a baby boom here at the church. I'm grateful for that. Babies are a sign gift from the Lord, and uh, it means God's doing a new thing, and that's just the manifested sign. How many of you know when Moses was born, that was a sign in the earth that a deliverer had come, and when Jesus was born, it was a sign in the earth, and so whenever there's warfare against the children, um, that's usually a sign that something good is trying to manifest and the enemy's contending with it, But, but we're in a baby boom and we're grateful for that, and... As I mentioned, we just we haven't had time to talk about it. There's so many things that we need to talk about it. But we all need reminders, don't we? And it doesn't matter right now if you've got young babies, children. Um, it doesn't matter. You can get something from today. It doesn't matter if your children, if you're right in mid-process with your children, you can get something from today. It doesn't matter if your children are, are, are going or gone. You can get something from today. It doesn't matter if you're a grandparent. Amen. I mean, we all have a place in understanding how family works and what God's plan is in that as well. As I was reading 1 Samuel chapter 2, I I began to see some things. I've never preached from the passages that deal with Eli, the high priest. I've never done that. And so I was reading before the dedication of Samuel from Hannah, and then even reading afterwards... And it was just after the incidents that I will mention here with Eli that, that we see the Ark of the Covenant being taken away by the Philistines. And it was there that uh, Eli's grandchild, when he was born, his daughter-in-law named her, him Ichabod. I mean, can you imagine what th- that young child went through all the days of his life, not only with a name like Ichabod, but the name means the glory has departed. And so the name of that child literally represented what had taken place in the nation of Israel at that particular time. And I started to think about that. I thought about the Philistines carrying away that that important piece of furniture that the Israelites, that the Israelites connected to the very presence of God. And it dawned on me that when God finally allowed the enemy to come in to sweep away the ark, it was due to the last straw being Eli's inability to deal with some things that were going on in his household. And through that activity, it actually became the tipping point, or it actually became the breaking point in the heart of God for his presence to be taken away from all of the nation of Israel. Now, I want you to hear me. All of the nation of Israel was in sad shape. It wasn't just Eli's house. The whole nation was in sad shape. But apparently that was the last straw. It had infiltrated the highest levels of the priesthood to where God said, that's it. And and I just want you to, to be reminded today that America today is facing a breakdown of, of family and uh, relationship expectation and, and understanding. Unfortunately, you can turn on the television set fairly rapidly and you can see meltdown going on all around us. 
with regards to the family. We, we need to understand that what happens in the White House or what happens in the House of Representatives isn't nearly as critical to our nation as what happens in our houses. I hear you. That's the, that's the stabilizing influence of society. I mean, you can run good guys, bad guys out of the White House and this nation will go right on. But I'm telling you, it's your house. It's where the action is. And uh, you can even now see breakdown going on in the highest levels of ministry. The people divorce at the drop of a hat and families are breaking down and it's just a sad, pitiful thing. And, and, and so I want to teach this morning and I want you all to open up your spirit to me because this is what I've entitled the message today. Carl Menninger wrote a book years ago. He entitled, Whatever Happened to Sin? I've just entitled this one, Whatever Happened to Parenting? Whatever Happened to Parenting? 1 Samuel chapter 2, I'm going to read beginning with verse 12. I'm going to jump all over the place here. 1 Samuel 2. Verse 12, listen to me. It says, now the sons of Eli were corrupt. Now, if you'll read in the margins of your Bible, it will say the sons of Belial. And what that means is they're full of the devil. His sons were full of the devil and they did not know the Lord. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. Then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and the priest would take for himself all that the flesh hook brought up. So they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also before they burned the fat, the priest's servants would come and say to the man who sacrificed, Give meat for roasting to the priest, for he will not take boiled meat from you but raw. And if the man said to him, they should really burn the fat first. Then you may take as much as your heart desires. He would then answer him, no, but you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. Therefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. I'll explain that in just a minute. Drop down to verse 22. It says, now Eli was very old and he heard everything his sons did to all Israel and how they lay with the women who were assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Now, I, I want you just to know, if you don't understand the Bible, they weren't taking a nap. Are you with me? That's how the Bible delicately says that they're sleeping around. Verse 23. So he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, for it is not a good report that I hear you make the Lord's people transgress. If one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Nevertheless, they did not heed. You might want to underline that. They did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. Wow. Verse 26. And the child Samuel grew in stature and in favor both with the Lord and men. Then a man of God came to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I not clearly reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? Did I not choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer up my alt on my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? And did I not give to the house of your father all the offerings of the children of Israel made by fire? Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering which I commanded in my dwelling place and honor your sons more than me and make yourselves fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel, my people? 
Therefore, the Lord God of Israel said, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now the Lord says, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. Hear that. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. And then finally over in chapter 3, I'm just, I'm just trying to give you the sense of the story here. 3 verse 10. Now the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, speak for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows, because his sons made themselves vile, and he did not restrain them. And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. And again, we're talking this morning on what I've entitled, Whatever Happened to Being a Parent. Let me tell you a little bit about Eli. Eli was a priest in the house of God. Some have considered him, in fact, the Bible seems to indicate that Eli was the last of the long line of judges that God appointed in the land in order to bring leadership to the nation of Israel. As many of you may know, if you were to go down the list of judges, not many of them did all that well. There were just a few good ones, and most of them ended up in a ditch. Eli, unfortunately, fell into that particular category of ditch fallers being the last judge because uh, while it was he served as priest, he also had a difficult time understanding how to apply that with regards to everyday life. The sons that are mentioned here are apparently the children of his senior years. Eli was probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 70 years old when his sons were born. And for all the good that we could mention about Eli, and there were things that he did that were good, there seemed to be one glaring problem in Eli's life. And that is, for whatever reason, he'd reached the point in his leadership and he'd reached the point in his ministry that he had begun to lack just really overall discernment in his life. He not only lacked discernment with regards to what God did in the overall house of the Lord, but he lacked discernment as to what God wanted to do in his own house and even when it came to his parenting. It's interesting because if you'll read chapter 1, you'll find Hannah, who was the mother of Samuel, in the house of the Lord. And she was praying and she was seeking God and she was beginning to cry out to the Lord. And, you know, just as there are pictures in the Old Testament of Christian happenings when maybe Jesus shows up as the angel of the Lord, there are other uh, pictures that we see even of spirit-filled things. It says that Hannah was praying and she was interceding and Eli thought she was drunk. Now, I always think this. I think she's just praying in tongues in the Old Testament there. That's kind of what I think. But she was just praying and interceding, and Eli comes up and says, what are you doing? You're acting like a drunk woman. And she says, no, I'm not a drunk woman. I'm interceding here. And Eli, being the priest, could not even recognize the intercession, the deep intercession that was going on in this, in this notable woman. And so we see he's, he's losing his sense of discernment. Now, now, as his sons are born and as they begin to grow up, their names are Hophni, and Phineas, They grew up in the house of Eli. And uh, they grew up, obviously, in a house that was in the ministry. It was a house that, that served the Lord. I suspect it was God-fearing, at least to some extent. 
you can count on this, that somewhere along the line they would have had to have learned the ways of God and they would have had to have learned some of the precepts of God because we find them at this particular chapter actually serving God as one of the priests in the temple. They were appointed to do that. The two were doing their religious thing. They were functioning as oftentimes we do uh, religiously in the midst of a service, doing the things we're expected to do. They were, they were receiving the offering. They were going through the pattern that God had established. But the problem was that while they were doing these religious things, they weren't being all that spiritual. In fact, the Bible says, and I'll just quote it again, it calls them wicked and corrupt and the sons of Belial, the sons of the devil. The Bible tells us that they stole offerings from the people. They didn't handle the offering correctly when the offerings were given. Instead of doing what they were supposed to do, they, they got theirs first and, and then maybe they would offer it to the Lord. The scripture also tells us that they would use their position as priests in the house of God in order to woo women away. And the Bible literally says that it was well known that they would sleep with women despite the fact that they themselves were married. In fact, one of the sons actually had a child on the way. It was the one that would eventually be called Ichabod. And all this was done. It was done openly. you got to understand, there was no secretive nature about all of this. It was done fairly openly. Everybody knew about it. There was no remorse. There was no embarrassment. That's even the most amazing thing, is that it could go on and nobody was even embarrassed. And the question begins to come up out of those scriptures. What went wrong in the house of Eli? Where in the world did things get off track? And the short answer is this. He just quit being a parent. I want to read to you this sign. I found this. It was a sign that was placed in a police station, a sheriff's office. And it went like this, how to raise a juvenile delinquent. How to raise a juvenile delinquent. Number one, begin early giving them everything they want. This will ensure they're believing that the world owes them something. Number two, never spank or discipline. Instead, try to become their friend. This way, they'll always be out of control. Number three. Pick up everything they leave laying around. This will teach them that they have no responsibilities as they grow up. Number four, take their side against all neighbors, teachers, and police. They are all against your child anyway, and they don't understand that your child is just a free spirit. Number five, finally prepare yourself for a life of grief because you're going to have it. See, whatever happened in our society about being a parent? Now, I will assure you that there were signs. There were signs of his sons going the wrong way long before we get to these flagrant sins. The tendency to go wrong, listen to me, isn't all of us. There's nobody in this room. The Bible's clear. It says this, that every heart is, is wicked and is, has a propensity to be turned to evil ways. But, but the fact of the matter is, as a parent, how do you begin to deal with this as children are being raised up? And there are three important stages that I want to just share with you. Those of you that have young children, you may want to write these down. I'm going to, I'm going to hopefully help you here 
with understanding how you can deal with some things as your children begin to move through life. Three important stages in a child's life. In fact, Pastor Van even mentioned this briefly last week. Number one, we're just going to use this general age category from birth to five years old. From birth to five years old, I wrote down here the breaking of the will. The breaking of the will. The moment they're born to the moment they're about five years old is the age area where you're going to have to determine who's the boss. If you don't succeed here, it's going to be difficult to recover. Parents are the first line of discipleship when it comes to their children. And you cannot disciple anyone whose will has not been broken. Are you hearing me? You can't disciple an unbroken person. It's almost impossible. In fact, I grew up on a farm and we had horses on the farm and and brokenness, you need to understand, brokenness is what we would call yieldedness. It's when you put the bit in the horse's mouth and that horse will shake that bit. And you'll put that bit in there and, and you'll try to move him this way or that way and he'll shake his head. He doesn't want that bit in his mouth. He wants to run free and do his own thing. But if he's going to be profitable, that horse, sometime in his life, he's going to have to learn to submit to that bit. And that's what's going on in some ways when children are growing. They're going to have to understand who's the boss. Because if they don't understand it then when they get into their teenage years, and dads, when they get bigger than you are, and then they think they can whoop your hide, they're smart enough to know they better not try it. So that's where you have to begin to implement the breaking. I'm not saying devastate them. I'm not saying abuse them. No, we're not saying that. We're just saying there comes a moment that they yield. From 6 to 12 years old is where we find the forming of character. These are the years, as your children grow, you put in concepts like the Ten Commandments. Concepts of integrity, no compromise, spiritual issues, memorizing the Bible, serving. All of these areas, you begin to sow into them in these particular age area. Their, their will's been broken, they're yielded. You can begin to sow into them at this particular age area. You see, when they're yielded and they go through this area and you look at them and say, hey, this is when we do devotions, and they look at you and say no, you say, say what? Excuse me. You'll be there. When they say, well, I don't know if I want to do this. I don't know if I want to go to school. You say what? You're up. We're going. My nose is running. Get a Kleenex. Are you beginning to see lifelong habits, concepts, values, perspectives begin to be formed between the ages of 6 and 12? That is where you can begin to fashion and you can begin to mold and you can begin to equip. And then finally, the third age area is the age area I put, ages 13 to 18, which is basically the teenage years. And these become the years that you transition these children to autonomy or you transition them to adulthood. Now, listen, if you haven't been diligent in the formative years, can I just tell you, these years are going to be super tough. And this is what's really hard, even in the life of the body of Christ. This is hard. It's because for some of us, we weren't saved till later in life. There are people that don't get saved, they don't get serious with God until they're older, maybe their children are older. And so they were living for the enemy, or they certainly weren't living for God. And all of a sudden... 
They get right, and, and now they want to get things right, and all of a sudden, they're faced with these teenagers who have this gigantic worldview switch happen on them, and there wasn't the breaking of the will, there wasn't the sowing of, of character and beginning to implement into them, and now all of a sudden, my universe has changed because mom and dad are born again, and they're serious about God. And so it becomes a tough, tough time. And so I'm talking to those of you that have young children right now. This is your moment to begin to do some things that will help you in those moments. Because if you get to this place when they're teenagers and all of a sudden you're having to transition those that haven't been broken and those that have no character formation in them, if you're trying to transition them into adulthood, it will take extraordinary steps. It will take intercession and crying out to God. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just simply saying it's going to take an extraordinary effort on your part to begin to seek God and ask for God's help to intervene in that particular situation. But the problem is many parents, much like Eli, have found themselves in a bad place. And this is what we begin to say to ourselves. And I want to break this. We say to ourselves, well, you know, kids have their prodigal years. No, they don't have to have their prodigal years. Why would you speak that word curse out there? Well, I'm not believing for prodigal years. I don't want to even put that into motion. I want to believe that my children will be in the house of God all the days of their life. I'm going to speak it as a good confession. I'm going to believe it in my household and in my heart. And I'm going to tell you right now, we've got to believe God to keep them safe. But we've got this attitude, well, you know, hey, hey, I had my, I had my wayward time. I guess they're going to have to sow their seed. Well, that's being foolish. Foolish, foolish, foolish. If you go through those first two stages, the good news is, once you get here to this stage, with a now appropriate, you know, you don't throw your 13-year-old the car keys. You know, we're not saying that. But with appropriate age area release, you can begin to help them navigate through these important years on their way to Christian adulthood. I want you to remember, it doesn't matter how good of a parent you may be or how great a child you may be raising. They all still have a carnal nature. Amen? I respect God. I fear the Lord. But I also respect the carnal nature. I, you know, I've watched good men, even ministers, end up in a ditch because of the carnal nature. So, you know, we ought to have a healthy respect for the carnal nature. I mean, it'll get you in more trouble than you can shake a stick at. So I'm going to give you ten lessons here that we can learn from Eli's failure. Ten lessons we can learn from Eli's failure as a parent. When someone fails at something... Wouldn't you say amen to this, that if someone fails at something, wouldn't it be good to kind of look at their life and see where they failed and say, I ain't going there? I would think so. So I, I want to talk about that. If someone's successful at something, it might do me well to uh, take some notes on that particular area. Um, you know, we're kind of in our household in the area of... Uh, just asking questions now. We've got one left to raise up, so I understand that we still got to be in the hunt. But we started asking ourselves questions as to what did we do that was right? What could we have done better? What do we need to change and adjust with Kalen coming through the household? I mean, we need to take time. Parenting doesn't just happen. You've got, you've got to engage in it. And it's amazing how much time we'll spend talking about a thousand different things and how little time we'll spend talking about this. 
And, and so, you know, I, I understand that I, I'm not through everything I need to get through. But I do think I've done a couple things okay. And I can give Tracy 95% of the affirmation because she's really been in the hunt with regards to this. And so uh, I just want to share some things that I think are important. I believe they're biblical. I think Eli messed them up, and I think we all can learn from it. Number one, parenting is not a democracy. I'll say that again. Parenting is not a democracy. Now, there is an appropriate place, because I know some of you, maybe the guys, you know, you got control issues, so i got to be careful how I say everything. You know, nobody likes a tyrannical dictator running the house. Nobody likes that. Nobody wants somebody abusive and just, you know, acts like the, you know, blind king. So I understand there's always an appropriate place of input from the family. There are even family decisions that can be made where we can get input because the whole family is going to be involved in it. So I understand that, that there are important places where everybody gets to input the situation that's going on. But I'll just tell you this. There are some things that are non-negotiable, non-debatable, just absolutely unarguable in my home, in my home. And that is there's a standard and there's an expectation. Number one is we esteem God first. God's first. He's number one. And that's serious in my household. And, and we just say this is the way it is. And if anything that comes up is violating something that doesn't esteem God first, that's, that's a, that's, we don't even go anywhere. Nope. Nope. Doesn't work. Doesn't work here. So you've got to begin to understand, if you're letting little three-year-old determine what they want for their life, you're going to be in trouble. You say, well, he doesn't like vegetables. Well, then he's going to grow up and just his system's going to be crazy unless you get some beans in him from time to time. He didn't want to go to school. Well, he's going to be stupid. It's not a democracy. Does Johnny get to go to school today? Let's all vote. What are you doing? So understand, I mean, we've got to get to the place where we understand my kids are not my peers. They're not my equals. They aren't even my friends. Can I just, I'll testify. I'll assure you if Clay and Tyler were here, they would tell you there were times I was the last thing from a friend in their life. I'm the parent. There are days I don't want the job. There are. I'd like to look at them and say, I don't want it either. You don't want me and I don't want you. But that's not the way it works. Parenting is not a democracy. It is a benevolent dictatorship. Because if I'm acting like the Lord, as I am called to be, it ought to be the best place in the world to grow up, is in my house. I realize I don't always live up to that. You don't either. But that's our aspiration and our understanding. We live in in a day and age where we've got got five-year-olds determining their destiny, and moms and dads just going, letting them, I'm going, you're a fool. No wonder, no wonder they don't obey police. No wonder they don't obey teachers. No wonder they're just unruly everywhere you send them. It ain't everybody else's fault. It's your fault. 
because they grow up in this egalitarian democratic society called your house. And they think everywhere they go, that's how it works, and it don't. Come, come have a sleepover at the pastor's house. I'll give them a worldview change. Number two. Because it says here, it says they didn't heed the voice of their father. But number two, you got, we got to start listening to the concerns of others. Listening to the concerns of others. The Bible tells us that there were these rumors that were going around. And um, I don't know how long they've been going around. Finally, Eli paid attention to it. Mentions it here in uh, verse 27. That, uh, excuse me, verse 23, 22 and 23, it mentions that these rumors were going around. But then it comes to verse 27, and we find, and this is really interesting, I want you to listen to me. It says here that a man of God came to Eli. Now, when I was reading this initially, it was really kind of interesting, because this is just how my mind works. I instantly said, I wonder who that was. Who was that? Sort of like the Lone Ranger came into town. This masked man called the man of God shows up. This nameless, faceless, apparently fearless man gives Eli the lowdown on his boys. And I kept saying, Lord, why is he nameless? I want to know who this guy is. And I believe the Holy Spirit showed me something here. And what, this is what he showed me. I, I could be wrong. I, 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 I've been wrong once this year, I know, so I... It could be, it could be I'm wrong again. You know, whenever somebody touches the kids, parents react. And this guy, we don't even know who he is. I'm sure if Samuel were writing the book or Eli was giving the account, I'm sure he would have told us exactly who it was. I know how it works. Do you know what so-and-so said? This guy had nothing to lose. So he just said, I'll be a man of God. He doesn't know me. What do I got to lose? Absolutely zero. And so he begins to share this with Eli. And, and I have found it has become impossible with many parents to even suggest that their children are less than perfect. When truth of the matter is, hundreds of people are biting their lips. Wanting to say something. But they can't. And if you don't believe that's true, just ask teachers. Let me just give you, give you a couple of examples here. This is years ago. Back when we were overseeing the school years ago. I'll never forget, there was a time that some kids went on a field trip and they had stolen things on the field trip. Caught them red-handed. Brought them into the office. Presented the evidence to them beyond... Beyond question. We're not, and, and, and I'm just telling you, OJ's lawyers couldn't have got him out of this one. They lied, of course. That's what kids do. It's the carnal. They lie. I know yours don't, don't lie. I understand. Yours don't. Every other child, though, does. And when their parents came in and we gave them the information, they looked at us and you would have thought we were the mafia. That somehow or another, we, we planted those stolen items in their backpacks. No, not their children. Yes, your children. 
I'll never forget the time when examinations were stolen. We caught them redhead. We had the disc in their hand. Have you ever seen a kid when you catch him red-handed? They'll go, what? I don't know how it got there. Someone, someone just, someone put it in there. Yeah, like right, right. This is years ago. I'll never forget years ago. This is before I wised up a little bit, but this is years ago, back when we were pastoring in a little, two little country churches. There was, there was a 16-year-old boy who had a drinking problem, and he was driving kids around in the youth group, in the church, through, you know, all those country roads, and, I, and I'd gotten wind of it. We had it, had him cold. We were afraid he's going to kill kids. I mean, that's my only desire. My only desire is to keep somebody from dying. God forbid. And I remember visiting with his dad saying, you know, this is happening, and, and I think you need to take a look at it. And you know what dad did? Dad looked at me like, what are you talking My son, there's no way he would have done something like that. And it wasn't two weeks later I'd found out that he opened up the trunk of his son's car and he found it filled with hard liquor. And you know what his dad's response was? Well, his friends must have put it there. Are you just stupid or did you go to a class on this stuff? Or I mean, and by the way, even if that were true, which we all knew it wasn't, what's he doing with friends that would stash their stuff in your son's trunk? Can I just say, as a pastor, I generally spend most of my days keeping my tongue bit. I have an interesting thing here. I, 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 I get to interact with people on some of the deepest levels of their life. I get to experience some of your greatest joys and some of your greatest heartaches. And, and it's, it's a privilege to be able to have access into people's lives at that level. But I can just tell you through the years, and I've been doing this for 25 years, and I can go through day one at Mooresville, Missouri... And, and walk my way through all Ludlow, Missouri. I could go to Greentown, Ohio, Oakland, California, Spartanburg, South Carolina, James Island, South Carolina, right here to West Ashley. I could walk through every single one. And I'm just here to tell you, you touch a child, and I'm here to watch what happens. Watch. And you can't do it. Because people then say, well, that's how they're going to treat my children. I'm gone. I'm out of here. I'll go somewhere where they won't touch my children. That's right. They'll let your kids just drive straight off that cliff. That's right. They'll let, it, they'll let you do it, and you can feel good about it. And then you'll wake up one day and go, how did it happen? But here's the truth. The truth of the matter is, if you dig in, and this is the part that I have to, I'm just telling you, I just have to navigate this a lot. If you dig in and you touch it, and then they leave, then you have no opportunity to sow anything more into them. So I've got to find sort of Holy Spirit, creative, interesting ways to sort of navigate into people's lives in order to help them hear the truth and hope that they get it. Because if they bolt, they won't ever hear the truth. And I'm not being arrogant, but I'm just saying I do know I'm dishing truth out fairly regular. There used to be a day the whole neighborhood was involved in raising up kids. I mean, if the child got in trouble down three houses away... That parent was allowed to discipline the child. That's how I grew up. I guarantee you there are some neighborhood moms that would whip my tail. And if I came home and said anything about it, my dad would say, good, and whip me again. No more. No, 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 no more. 
No, it, it couldn't be yours, see? So we got to start listening. Number three, we esteem God more than we do our children. That's what this man of God said. He said that we're going to esteem, you esteem, you honor your sons more than you honor God. You know, family, this is the interesting thing I'm fi finding in the era we're living in because as Christians, we are family friendly. In fact, we, we are the family friendliest bunch there, there should be. And family should be an important priority to all of us. And, but here's what it's come to, particularly in our, in our Charleston area because we venerate our ancestors. I mean, we don't, you don't touch my ancestors. I mean, I've, I, I've had four, five, six, seven generations. We were here before the war between the states. I mean, we, we are family. So I understand how it works here, but our problem is we've sort of morphed our Christianity into this family worship center, literally, where we worship our households. We venerate our children. And I'm here to tell you, I don't care if it's your wife, your husband, your children, your parents, it doesn't matter. We serve God first. The Lord is first. You don't violate what the Lord says in order to somehow work in the family system. We live in a society where little Johnny is venerated. Oh, little Johnny. We're, we we want to make sure little Johnny's just having everything little Johnny needs. Little Johnny's going to have every experience this world offers him. Little Johnny's going to go to three different sporting events and he's going to go to his little cotillion lessons and then he's going to go over here and go to these lessons and then obviously he has to go to this and that. Oh yeah, and don't worry, Pastor. We'll get him to church though. We'll get him there somehow. In our busy life, we'll get him there. And I just want to go. You're going to stand before the Lord, and he's going to go, but Lord, I took cotillion lessons. And the Lord goes, really? Show me a dance right there. Huh? Really? Well, doggone, we need a dancer like that in heaven. Come on in. <laughs> Lord, you don't understand, man. I was the second leading Shooter in the low country. You don't understand. I made the north-south game. You don't understand. Really? Really? They took your picture too? You were in the paper? By golly, there it is right there. Well, come on. We need some famous people in here. Are you getting what I'm saying? We, we gonna, we're going to have to wake up, folks. We can sit here and bemoan the state of our nation all we want, but our nation isn't getting any better until we embrace it and we get better. Number four. A lot of what I'm saying here isn't in my notes. I want you to know that. We need to be consistent in our discipline. Proverbs 23. Let me, let me, let me read these to you real quick. I got to read these to you real quick. Are you writing them down? Moms and dads, please write them down. Proverbs 23, 13. You're going to want to hear this someday. Listen. It says, do not withhold correction from a child. Hallelujah. That's a rhema word right there for somebody in the room. Do not withhold correction from a child. For if you beat him, now again, we're not talking about abuse. I, I, the Bible's not talking about abuse here. It's talking about giving him an appropriate spanking. It says, for if you spank him, he'll not die. He may sound like he's dying, but I promise you he won't die. Now listen to verse 14. I never read this verse before, but this is the one you ought to underline. It says, you shall beat him with a rod. In other words, you shall spank him and deliver his soul from hell. In other words, if you spank your children, I'm just going to preach it. It says it right here. You'll actually keep them out of hell. 
Say, I don't believe in spanking. Well, that's great. I don't know how you discipline. I'm not going to wrestle with you over your discipline. You discipline any way you want to discipline them, you discipline them. They're your children. But when it's all said and done, just ask yourself, am I keeping them out of hell? 1918. Proverbs 1918. We read, chasten your son while there is hope and do not set your heart on his destruction. A lot of times we say to ourselves, well, they're too far gone. They're, they're, they're going off the cliff and there's nothing I can do about it. He's, with what he says here, he says, chasing it while there's still hope. Correct, discipline while there's still hope. Yes, you can. It's not easy. Can I just share with you, it's not easy. I'll just share with you in my household. My children will laugh at this. Clayton Baird was our first strong-willed child. And I mean, he got spanked, no, no joke, 10 times a day. And he's alive. <laughs> and then he got a little older. Now you can't, you know, discipline changes as they get older. Spanking doesn't work once they get into the fives and sixes. It doesn't work anymore. We know that. And so we'd send him to his room. And I'll never forget in California, he'd undo his window sitting in his room. And the neighbors would walk by and he'd, he'd lean there and he'd go, help me. <laughs> They're killing me. <laughs> Listen, though. The neighbor would call us up and say, Clayton's saying you're killing him. Thanks for calling. You know, nowadays they call DSS on you. Now, Tyler rarely got spanked. I don't even know if Tyler got spanked until he was about five or six. I mean, he's just a very compliant child. Just, just, you know, but, you know, I'll just tell this about, you know, Clayton, if he sins, he's going to be out front in your face. Now, Tyler's a little more sneaky. He's the sneaky sinner. Caitlin's got a little bit of both going on every now and then. So. She's, she's right there in the middle. She does all right. But if you don't discipline, the Bible says you're in danger of sending them to hell. Get a hold of that. Mom and dad. Eli, listen to me now. Eli could not muster up. When it, when it came to confronting, I understand they're older sons. They're going to do their thing. There's no spanking them. I mean, I understand that. But he couldn't even come up with a, no, don't do that. It's sin. He couldn't even say that. He just came up with sort of this measly question. Well, why are you doing what you're doing? It just really isn't good. You think? He's sleeping with everything that's got a skirt on. You think? He says, well, you really ought not do things like that. You think? Why, don't, why, 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 is, it, why is it that we can't look sometimes and, and, and just say, and we've done it in our house. I, can, I tell you right now, I'm going to give you just a, a look inside the Baird house that we've faced every child and looked at them and said this, you're not right with God right now. You are not right with God right now. And if I were you, I'd get right with God because the theology of this household is you don't want to die in your sins. We're Christians. Amen. You say, I don't know if I can do that. Well, parents, we're going to have to consider whether we can do this or not because I'm telling you, just because they grow up in your house doesn't automatically make them or keep them saved. Do we get this? 
I'm glad my sons grew up in a pastor's house and they grew up in a godly house and we did our best to live it straight. But can I just share this with you? Just because they grew up in my house doesn't make them saved. My kids have to get born again for themselves. They don't get it by osmosis. They don't get it off of me. The anointing doesn't flow off their dad and somehow help them. They've got to get spiritually right with God for themselves. And I've got such a relationship with them that I can pick up a phone, and we have at times, and said, you're not right with God right now. Now, I love you. I care about you. I'll I'll give you the world. I'll do anything. I'll take a second mortgage on the house to encourage you to do righteousness. But I'm telling you right now, you are not right with God. Amen. I know I'll never make it on the Dr. Phil. I, I understand that. I, I, I'll never get that invitation. Number five, we've got to model the example. Have mercy. Model the example. You know what? It was interesting. I read this, Trace. I, I just, as, as the man of God, that nameless, faceless, fearless man of God said that to him, Eli, I, I saw what he says here in verse 29. The guy looks at Eli and he says, why do you kick at my sacrifice? He didn't say, why do your boys kick at the sacrifice? He says, why is it that you make yourselves fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel, my people? It's interesting that Eli was practicing some of the very same sins that his children were. And parenting is tough when it is done by a hypocrite. You can't say do as I do. You can't say do as I say, but not as I'm living. It's tough when you can't model righteousness at home and then expect the kids to turn out right. I'm glad you bring the kids to church, but they need to see it at home. They need to, they need to see righteousness and transformation and repentance at home. Model the example. Eli literally got pulled in to the sins of the children. He got pulled into it. I, boy, I could go here. We get pulled into the sins of the children as we're giving them every experience under the sun, who takes them there? As we get pulled into the sin. Number six, understand what true love really is. Understand what true love really is. Proverbs 13, 24. Amen. I know I'm going to get a lot of thank you cards in the mail this week. I can feel it. I can feel the love. Proverbs 13, 24. I like Proverbs. they got so many pithy little sayings here. It says, he who spares his rod, listen, he who spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Promptly. We've got to understand what true love really is. Eli might have thought he loved his boys, but truth is, he didn't love his boys. True love is telling your children the truth about life, telling them the truth about the Lord, telling them the truth about eternity. We're afraid we're going to scare them. You're not going to scare them. You're giving them truth. It's reality. We talk about eternal things with our children. We've got to understand as parents what true love really is. It's not another person's job to discipline and correct your kids. It's not the teacher's job. It's not the church's job. It's your job. Don't you wait for someone else to say what you need to be saying to them. The house of God, listen to this, the house of God 
is the house of God. It's not exactly like your house. But this is what I face. This is really amazing. I watch children, and again, I'm not picking on your kids. I mean, this is 25 years. But they will come to the house of God, and they will go berserk. And I'll say to myself, I just really wonder, when they come to the house of God, if that's how they are in their own house. I mean, I just wonder. I just wonder if, if, if when they eat something that they're giving to them, they just throw the bag over their head in the middle of your living room. I just wonder if they go to the bathroom, they hit everything but the toilet. Some of them probably do. But I just kind of wonder. And yet here we come to the house of God, and then I'm looking at this, and it's saying, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, this is the house of God, and there ought to be at least some sort of decorum. And then everybody goes, what's going on? Why, why, why are you doing this with the kids? It's because this is the house of God. Maybe your house is pig pen, but this is the house of God. You can have a pig pen, God's house won't be. See, so we've got to begin to understand that, uh, you know, we've got to really love our kids. We've got to really help them out. We've got to understand we are grooming those boys to be somebody's husband someday. I'll never forget Trace looking at the boys one time saying, I'm grooming you so that you will be profitable for your wives so they won't have to do with you what it's taking your dad so long to learn. <laughs> Amen. I agree. I absolutely agree. You're grooming somebody's husband, somebody's wife. It's you, you. Number seven, reward righteousness, discipline ungodliness. I'm sorry, I had ten things here, and I could have done about three weeks on this. Reward righteousness, discipline ungodliness. That sounds simple, but make sure you're rewarding the right thing. Make sure you're rewarding the right thing. If not, later in life... Your kids will get jobs and they'll live in a society and find out that God uses bosses and police officers. Problem was, Eli rewarded their ungodliness. They slept around. And there you are, be priest. It's sick. We live in a sick society. We reward thugs. We, re- we reward rap artists. We reward hoochie girls. We reward sports stars. I mean, we all sit around, I'm sorry, Michael Vick, Michael Vick and his dog deal and the gambling and all the rest, and we have a debate. We, we, we debate on OJ. We debate this stuff. I'm just going, what are we doing? What are we doing? God, we're just, we're just nuts. We are corporately nuts. Why don't we reward righteousness? Righteous people, it's funny. We'll pay a sports star a mega million dollars. Pastor gets paid too much, though, probably. Teachers get paid too much. See, see, we reward ungodliness, and then we complain about righteousness. Nobody complains. I've never heard anybody complaining, not really that all that much. They don't complain about VH1 and MTV and all that other stuff, but they'll go out of here today. They'll people go sit down at lunch, and they'll complain about church, me, the message, and all the rest. I'm just telling you, we are nuts. We're nuts. You spend as much hours complaining about righteous things Think about that. How many, how many hours do you spend complaining about unrighteous things? When was the last time you, you sat down and wrote a letter to some of the garbage that comes on television, all the other garbagey things out there? Probably zero. But boy, we'll, we'll chew up righteousness in a heartbeat. We are, just, we are crazy. And then our kids sit there and listen to it. That must be normal. Mom and dad are doing it. I'm really enjoying myself. I don't know if you're enjoying but I am really enjoying myself right now. Reward righteousness, discipline on God. Number eight, be a spiritual protector. 
Be a spiritual protector. Parents, we're spiritual protectors. I'm talking, you know, dad's probably the point person. Moms are in here too. But you guys, you're the primary spiritual protectors of your home and your family. Now, church is here, I'm here, other things are here to help you in this regard. Other ministries are available to help you in this regard. But ultimately, hear me now, ultimately, you are the priest of your house. And we've got to begin to protect. And again, I don't pay a lot of attention. I'm really, you may think I pay a lot of attention, but how can you help not but see some attention when you're, when you're just watching cable news network? It's hard not to see. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm just going to say it because everyone knows it because they've showed it on the television news cycle. But I've watched, I've watched Britney Spear in her underwear do a dance that I don't even know what that was on news. And I'm sitting there, and you know what the first thing I thought was? I thought, where? Her dad ought to jump up out of the audience somewhere, put a blanket on her. That's the first thing I thought in my mind. Have mercy. I mean, you remember when Paris Hilton got her DUI or whatever and she went to jail and everybody's just all in an uproar about Paris Hilton and her mom and her dad are in a courtroom wondering what went wrong. And I'm saying, you fools, what went wrong? Well, you let her put that skimpy whatever it was, wash a car and eat a Wendy's hamburger. She wasn't selling burgers. So you watch that, Pastor? Well, how can you not help but see some of it? When you're in the middle of some G-rated thing and then go poof, Paris Hilton. Oh, Jesus. They ain't selling burgers. They ain't selling burgers. I'm just telling you. Selling burgers. They have a new commercial, some teacher hoochie-coochin' on the top of a desk selling a burger. Am I just the only one that can recognize ain't no burgers getting sold here? They're selling the hoochie. That's what's getting sold here. Just sad. Absolutely sad. You got... I'm just, see, I'm getting it all off my chest. I'm just going to say... You got, hey, what about this one? What about this one? You got Jessica Simpson, whose dad is, was a Baptist youth pastor. And he don't protect her. He lets her put it out there. And, and so men can ogle her. But he's rich. He's got money. In fact, he even offered to take on Brittany. Well, isn't that nice? Come on now. We've got to protect. We, we, you know, I can't change that mentality, but by God's grace, and if there's an anointing that comes, I hope to change yours. We've got to quit being sorry. I'm not talking about sorry and apology. I'm talking about quit being sorry, sorry people. We've got, to, we've got to start saying, you know what? I know what's right. I better go on. Number nine, be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit will help you parent. I'll never forget the time I think I told this story. Clay was upstairs on a phone call that he ought not have been on. Tracy was downstairs. We're just sitting there. I'm with her in the room. All of a a sudden, all of a sudden, he was 15 years old. All of a sudden, she gets up out of the seat. and, And I said, where are you going? Holy Ghost just told me to go up and check on Clay. She goes up, does one knock and opens it up. Because you see, I paid for that room. (laughs) One knock went right on in. And he was right in the middle of a moment. Nailed! 
by the Holy Ghost using mom. It probably spared his life and spared his ministry. Yeah. It was a little girl that was leading him down the wrong path and that ended. Hallelujah. Clay called up Tyler the other day. Said, Tyler, when you're living at home, man, don't do anything wrong. <laughs> Mom hears from the Holy Ghost. <laughs> she, she, she'll get you, dude. She'll get you. What do you think those gifts of the Spirit are for, parents? What do you think discernment's for? What do you think a word of knowledge is for? What do you think the prophetic word is for? You can prophesy over your kids. Thus saith the Lord, you are going the wrong way. Turn now. That's a word from God. Finally, number 10. Can you say amen? We're finally to 10. You are on the job 24-7, 365 days a year until they're released as adults. And in our mind, we'll still, we'll still give them some godly direction. I wish I could tell you you could turn it off. I'm, there's times I'm so worn out. And I probably wear out faster than Trace wears out. But that, it, just, it just wears me out sometimes. About the time we think we got it covered, something new pops up. Saying, Lord, help us. And uh, you just got to realize when you're a parent, it's 24-7, 365 days a year. You can't call time out. It's not something you can just say, I'm just going dis- to disconnect. It just, you can't do it. You can't do it. They, children have an energy level that's ten times our energy level, but God's going to have to empower us to keep up. And like I mentioned to you before, I, I've just, I, you know, my, my kids know, you do what you want. I'm not going to come to your house. Let me, I'll just say this right now. I ain't coming to your house because truth of the matter is, if I came to your house, you wouldn't hear it probably. You'd be irritated, and then I wouldn't have an opportunity to sow any more truth into you. But I'll tell you this, this is just my view. You can take it for what it's worth. When I stop underwriting their life and they, they, can, they can afford their own freedom, then you go be free. I don't have to underwrite your garbage. I don't have to do it. I reward righteousness. I discipline ungodliness. Now, I, I'm here to tell you, to put clay in Australia cost us over $30,000. Say, so where did all that come from? Let me tell you something. It was just God dropping things here, there, and everywhere and doing some creative things as well. $30,000 is a lot of money out of pocket. I'll, I'll, I'm not joking. I've looked at my kids and say, I'll mortgage the house for you. I, I, if you're going to pursue righteousness, I'll do whatever I can to help you go achieve something righteous. But if you want to do something ungodly, you on your own. You on your own. I love you and I'll do whatever I can, but you're on your own. Whatever happened to parenting? Guys, we've got got to. We've got, it starts. It doesn't start in the big conferences. It doesn't start because you go to class and you learn something else. It starts when you just step up and you just say, I I am in the hunt. I'm going to be a parent. And with God's help, I'm going to get these kids raised. Or I'll die trying. The greatest legacy you'll leave are those kids that are coming behind you. 
I may never leave big buildings and I may not have a big college and I may not have all those things, but if I can leave a heritage of godliness, then I've been successful. That's the most successful thing. Most successful thing in the world will be when I'm long gone, if Jesus tarries, and whether it's Clay or whether it's Tyler, whether it's Kaylin, that they're standing with their children and they'll look at them and they'll say, I remember when Grandpa did this. I remember when, when Grandpa did that. I remember. That'll be the greatest legacy. I'll be long gone. But the influence ripples on. Amen. We stand with me. I'm going to pray for you right now. I'd like every mom and dad right now, this is what I want to ask you to do. I want you to lift it. And that means I don't care how old you are. You could be grandparents right now. <clears throat> but you're, you're a part of a family unit. And so I want every mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, raise their hands right now to the Lord. Just raise your hand because I'm going to pray for you right now. I'm going to ask God to anoint you. 1 John 2.27 says that there's an anointing for all things. And I need an anointing to parent. I'm just here to tell you that I'm worn out some days and I need an anointing to parent. I'm grateful that I have a, a, a wife that God has greatly anointed to do this well. But we need an anointing to parent. Keep your arm up right there. You need the power of God. You need the gifts of the spirit. You need, you need the, the courage that comes out of the inner man. You need true love. True love to come and fill your heart up and understand that you're, you, you don't want something bad. You want something good. I, I know that God is good. And the best thing that can happen in my household is when everybody's all out for the Lord. That's the best thing that could ever happen to them. Bar none. I'm so convinced of that. And I'm going to pray for an anointing right now. If you want an anointing, you've you got to say yes, Lord. Otherwise, you just lifted your hand up to just lift your hand up. But if you want an anointing right now, Say, Lord, I'm opening myself up right now. Just say that to the Lord. I'm opening myself up right now that you would send an anointing. You would send an empowerment. <clears throat> you would send, Lord, what I would need from the Spirit of God himself to fill me up, to get me in the hunt to do what I have been called to do. Listen to me. Listen to me. Don't you point your fingers at the project areas and don't you point your fingers at single moms and get all haughty. Let me tell you, if you birthed them, you're to raise them. That's for all of us. That's for all of us. You birth them, you raise them. Father, right now I pray in the name of Jesus that you would drop an anointing in this house. That, Lord, the greatest testimony we could have to demonstrate to the world is what you're doing in a household. Lord, I pray right now that you would begin... To anoint moms and dads, grandparents as well, Lord. Anoint them, I ask, in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray right now that you would give us discernment and wisdom. That, Lord, you would give us courage right now. Let, let a spirit of courage rise up in us right now. To step into our call. And, Lord, we will trust you in that call. We will trust you in your work, I pray in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for parents that are at every point in those three different age areas, Lord, the ones that have the very littlest ones, Lord, give them, give them abilities, Lord, 
to, to break the will, but not the spirit, Lord. Help them. Help them to, to bring yieldedness to their children. Right now, I pray in Jesus' name so that they could have, Lord, an opportunity to form and input them with godly things. I pray for those in those middle years right now who are inputting them with character and, and godliness and righteousness. And Lord, let them not grow weary and let them not be sucked into everything that comes along. And Lord, I know there's a lot of great things that we can do and some of it probably has its place. But Lord, it has second place to you. And Lord, I pray for those parents who have teenagers, Lord, right now. And we're always praying, Lord, that you'd work on the teenagers. And we certainly pray you'd do that, Lord. Cause them to aspire and desire godliness. But Lord, I pray right now for moms and dads right now, Lord, to give us, Lord, the tenacity, the resiliency. Lord, give us the stalwartness. Give us, Lord, that anointing, that empowerment. Give us the rhema word. Give us what we need, the spirit of prophecy, Lord. Truth-telling, Lord, help us to do this in such a way that, Lord, we can love but yet we can guide and direct and transition them into godliness for a lifetime. Lord, your word says that if we'll train a child in the way he should go when he is old, he won't depart. I believe that. I believe that to be true. And Lord, I pray, it's a tough era we live in with everything that's glitzy, flashing at us at all levels. Lord, I break the glitz in the name of Jesus. I break all the shininess in the name of Jesus. I break the lies and the deceptions in the name of Jesus. And Lord, let us focus. Let us focus on what eternally, ultimately matters. And we receive it. We take that as a commission, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand now, okay? We receive that. Amen. We receive that. Okay, listen to me. Hey, and if you're a guest at Legacy, this is just what we do, okay? In five minutes, so I'll get you out. Maybe less than that, but this is what we're going to do right now. If you're not right with God right now, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, if you're alienated from the Lord and you're saying, you know, I'm just, my, I'm not right with God and I want to be right. Listen, that's not, a, that's not a bad thing. If you'll recognize it, that's the greatest thing in the world because right now you can change that and you can leave this place restored and on your way. Yes, that's good. So Holy Spirit right now, if you're working on people, and I believe you probably are, Lord, help them to do the courageous thing right now and say, you know what, before I go, I want to get my life right with God. I want to pray with Pastor before I go this morning and get back on track. I I want to turn from wherever I'm headed and get back to the way I need to be going. Holy Spirit, only you can do that right now. With every head bowed and every eye closed right now. Right now. I don't care if you came with somebody. What will they think? Who cares? Just right now. Just go with it. Come, Come down here and just join me. I'll hug your neck. Just go with it right now. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Anyone else? Come on. Come on. Come on, go with it. You won't be the only one. Go with it. Go with it. Go with it. How about it? Come on. Anyone right now? Come on. Come on. I'd wait all afternoon, but you could make that decision right now. See, if I, if I just wait him out, if I wait him out, I'll be able to slip out. Don't wait me out. 
Come on, right now. I can sense it in my spirit. There are about five more that probably need to slip out right now. That's the, I just got to drop five more. Is that you? Is that you? Is that you? About, come on, I, I don't want to stop when the presence of the Lord is here to do this. Just another moment or two. I'm going to close. Oh, don't. Don't, 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 don't. Don't. That's one. Come on. How about it? Probably about four more, probably. I'm just telling you, that's the number that got sewed into me. How about it? Come on, any more? I just, I just. This is the most important thing we do. Eternal issues are being settled right now. Oh, I don't want to do this, Lord. Don't let me, don't let me. Come on now. Come on now. I've got to close. I can't, I can't, I can't hold everybody. Don't wait me out. Holy Spirit, let them move right now. Last moment. I'll wait as long as they slip out. I'll, I'll wait. That's another, that's another 30, 60 seconds right there. Come on. How about you? How about you? What's God doing right now? Can you, can you honestly say I'm okay? If, if you can do that, that's, that's great. I'm not trying to talk you out of your experience, but, I, but I'm here to say get honest. How about it? Come on. Just another moment. Spirit of God, work. All right. Maybe two more. I'll just, as long as they keep coming, I'll keep waiting. Do you understand? I'm just, do you understand? This is the Holy Ghost working. How about it? Come on, if, you, if you're a believer, just intercede right now. Just, let's just break the atmosphere. Any resistance in the atmosphere, just intercede. Pray in the Spirit right now. We only got another 30 seconds or so. I'm not joking. I, I, you can, you can, your obedience, do you see this? One man's obedience springs another two people's obedience. Do you understand your obedience right now could spring someone else's obedience? That's heavy, Pastor. Yeah, it is. That is. That's how God uses us. You just by stepping out are going to spring someone else. Come on, I only got another 20 seconds. Spirit of God, you know my heart. I'd wait here all afternoon. God bless you. All right. Father, I break right now in the name of Jesus every oppression and resistance, the beguiling influence of the enemy. Right now, I break it in the name of Jesus. Lord, we don't play. You know us, Lord. We never did want to play church. We wanted to be the real deal. Lord, help us this morning be the real deal right now. How about it? How about it? Anyone else? One more. I, I really did. God just dropped five. One, four. Jessica sprung the rest of the five. Come on, if there's one more. I just believe there's one more. I don't want to leave you out, but I'm just telling you, I've got, I've, I've got to let the people go. I've got to let the people go. You hear that? There are tears down here. People are interceding and have tears because they're praying for you. I'm closing. I'm closing right now. Amen.
like some of the ladies, Noah, come on, and we're going to pray. Some of the guys, ladies, just come on down, and we're going to just pray with you right now. I want everybody right now to join me. And we're all going to pray together, and everybody that came to the altar, listen to me, all of you young people, God bless you. I want you all just to, to, to join me. And you've got to be sincere in your heart, man. If you pray, and there's not genuineness, dude, it isn't going to happen. But if you're genuine, it, it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter where you've been. It matters where you're going. Are you listening to me? It doesn't matter where you've been. It's about where you're going. And you'll, get, and you'll get 200, 300 people cheering you on for where you're going. Listen to me. It's where you're going. It's where you're going. Force is where you're going. It's where you're going, dude. It's where you're going. We're all praying, right? Everybody together. I want everybody to, you got to say it out loud. Don't, mum, don't mumble it. Don't murmur it. You got to put, fill your lungs up and pray it and mean it before God. Say, dear Jesus, I sensed you today. And you talk to me. I open up my heart and receive your dealings. I confess right now every sin, all my rebellion, my waywardness. And I choose, as you empower me, to repent and turn to a new way. I leave the old life to walk in the new life. I receive you now into my life. You are raising me up and changing me into a new person. I believe that right now. My tears are demonstrating how you're cleansing me. I accept you and I stand with you. And I declare right now with your help, I will be a finisher in the race of godliness and holiness. I'm going to finish with you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Now, there may be others, though, they may want to visit with you guys. Before you go, just let them visit with you and pray with you, okay? Again, one more time. They're all going to pray with you one more time before you go. But, but folks, you encourage them and be an encouragement to one another. And we're in the hunt, amen? I, I mean, this is, we're just not doing church normal, all right? Church abnormal is normal. Amen. Father, bless your people right now. Bless your people right now. Lord, I pray that you would seal in their hearts what needs to be done. Lord, help us, help us, help us, Lord, to, to do what we'll be glad we did 10,000 years from right now. Help us to follow through on this. Lord, I pray for these that have gathered. Lord, help them in their young life to follow through. I break, I break any pattern right now of waywardness over them in Jesus' name. I declare over you a straight path. I declare over you that you can be, you will be a finisher. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Lord, that we close the door to the past and we look forward to a great, great future. And we thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you're doing a work in us as a people. We sense your presence and we dismiss, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. God bless you one more time. I hope to see you in the middle of the week. Wednesday.